am not a big fan of outside. So the fact that, uh, in fact, this week at our board meeting, one of our board members was like, oh, it's going to be great. And I'm like, eh, it's going to be okay. <laughs> but it is great. It is great. And so normally this time of year is allergy season for me. And so before Jesus and essential oils changed my life. And uh, and so I don't struggle near as much as I used to outdoors. But uh yeah, I do sometimes. So we're going to dismiss our kids and Casey and Andrea and maybe some help are going to take them over to yonder playground for hopefully some spiritual insight. And <laughs> we will pray for extra grace for you guys. And uh, and so parents, as we close up with service, the kids are going to be right over there and they'll make their way back or you'll make your way to them. But uh Man, it is nice out here. So this morning, um, there are, are very few times <laughs> that I come into a message absolutely not really sure what direction I'm going to take it. <laughs> and so but that was today. And I used to really just wrestle with it and be like, oh, I just need to know where I'm going to go. And uh, today or just yesterday, I was just like, eh, I, you know, we'll figure it out. And so we're in this series on church matters and there is a lot that I feel like we're going to uncover over the next few weeks as we really look at this series. Um, if you were with us last week, I talked about um, the idea that church matters being the idea that, in a sense, church is important. We live in a society right now where church is being pushed away, that it's not important, it's, um, it, it is important. I mean, the fact that Jesus said, I will build my church, um, is pretty significant, and so we need to make sure we value what he values. In fact, he calls the church his bride, his body. And so uh, you would think that he thinks the church is pretty important. Now, I understand that in our culture we've taken church and we've made it mean something that probably Jesus didn't mean. And so we're going to look at some of those things and wrestle with those things and walk through this series about things pertaining to the church or church matters. And so last week we talked about the commodities of the church. And the commodities of the church are not people because people are the church. We are the church. The commodities are what we bring. So our time, our energy, our resources, our giftings, and how we bring those uh, to the table. That is the commodities that we looked at um, last week. And so today I want us to look at this idea of connection, connection. And I want to go to Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible and you want to go there, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read a couple verses here together, and then um, we're going to chat. And I know you have a handout in front of you that we may or may not get to today, but we will at some point um, in the future. And so you don't have to keep it forever, but uh, I put it in front of you because I would have just put it on the screen, and I didn't have one. So in the event that I kind of got to it, maybe I'm letting you into my world. There's a lot more screens than ever go up. And so sometimes on Sunday, the projector person has to really pay attention and make sure that they put up the screens that I want up and the ones that I'm skipping, we skip. So today you just get to know that there are sometimes hidden screens and today you might have one in your hand. So Acts chapter 2. Whew, there's no filter outside at all. Who knows what I'm about to say? <laughs> Acts chapter 2, 
verses 42 through 47. So the church has been, quote unquote, birthed. Day of Pentecost has happened. Holy Spirit comes and the people are saved by Peter's preaching. Um, well, they're saved by Jesus as a result of Peter's preaching. And then they come into this moment where there's this description by Luke. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's a whole lot in that that passage there. Um, and I want us to look specifically at this word fellowship because sometimes we think of fellowship in our church world today as a verb. And fellowship isn't a verb here. Fellowship is, if you've heard the Greek word koinonia, that's what this word fellowship is, and it's actually a noun. Um, and that's significant because fellowship isn't really something we do. It's really the connection. It's kind of who we are, if you will. Literally, it's the concept of sharing activities or privileges because of an intimate association. So koinonia is the fact that, you know, the, the New Testament uses language of family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we come together in a brand new relationship. And that is super foreign to our American church culture. Our Even the best of our relationships in the body of Christ are not like family. They're not. And sometimes we try to um, just have activities. Like this picnic is great, and it's a catalyst for us to, to begin to get to know each other, to begin to connect. But you can have picnics. You can have potlucks. You can have home group Bible studies and never really connect on a koinonia sense. You can hug each other every Sunday and be like, oh, it's so good to see you. Love you. Praise God. But if we're not actually connected in a daily way, that doesn't mean we have to meet together. Because sometimes we, we take this passage and we try to bring it directly into our culture today. Well, they met together every day, so we have to meet together every day. Not necessarily. What's happening in that culture, we want to translate that same thing into our culture. But sometimes we look at this and we, we, we're, we romanticize it. We're like, well, I want to be a part of a church that's like this. And I don't think God is saying, go find a church like this. He's saying, hey, you, church person, individual, create a church like this. You be this. You be engaged with people. You pick up the phone every day or you text someone. And it doesn't matter how we connect. Some people are like, oh, you can't connect through Zoom and social media. False. I mean, that can't be our only level of connection. We need to do face-to-face. But, man, last night I was privileged to be a part of a Zoom call where we prayed for Adam basically outside his room because Melissa only has a window she can look in to see. 
And how cool to pray with people literally around the world for his healing through Zoom. And and yet, there was one guy that was praying. He was trying to pray, and his, like, you know how Zoom does, and he was totally, and, I'm, and at one point I'm like, who is in charge of this? Tell them he, you can't hear him and just move on. <laughs> like, but so there's frustrations. It wasn't like this perfect, oh, mo- beautiful Zoom call. No, it was a terrible Zoom call at times. In fact, at one point, everyone was praying at the same time, and one person was like, uh, I can't hear, I can't focus, everyone's mics are on. <laughs> and so, but we were joining together to pray. And so it doesn't have to be perfect prayer. It just has to be prayer, and our hearts have to be connected. And, and, and Melissa and, and Addison and Abby were on that call, and they got the point. They're not alone. And they got to get on and thank us for being there and pray with us. And that's the point. And so you can do it by mailing someone a letter. You can do it by stopping by someone's house. You can do it in so many different ways. And it doesn't all have to be run by the institution. Pastor Tom, when are we going to have small groups? I don't know. Invite people into your living room and read the Bible. That's a small group. I mean, it doesn't have to be a pattern that we follow because sometimes... We rely on those things and we think we have connection and we don't have connection. Because then someone will call us and say, hey, uh, my sitter fell through and I really need a babysitter. Oh, I'm sorry. I just don't have time. I'm sorry. I, I, kids aren't my thing, you know. I'm sorry. I raised my kids. Or someone's car broke down and we have three cars, but, you know, well, I don't know if I should lend you my car. Why not? I mean, if my kid's car broke down, wouldn't I lend him a car? And aren't if my brother or sister? And so we have relationships in our families, and I hate that some of us grew up in families that we'd rather not use that word. And I don't know how, I don't know how to help you see that all families aren't like that, and I'm sorry you grew up in a family like that. Um, I'm so grateful for my parents, and I remember the time that Kedrick was born, and um, he had to be flown to Sioux Falls, and I was alone in Sioux Falls, and um, just wondering because Christy was still here in Huron, and I'm, I'm like, I don't know what's wrong. And um, I went out to eat, and I had food in front of me, and I'm like, I'm not going to eat that, um, can't eat that. And my parents, the moment they found out he was being transferred, got in a car and drove from Pennsylvania, and were there the next day. Like, who does that, parents? Now let me tell you something. If we're the body of Christ. How many, how many of you are grandparents? Your grandparents? All right. Here's what I know about grandparents. Something happens to you, and all the rules of parenting go out the window. I don't understand it. The gifts you buy, you never would have bought them for us as kids, but you buy them now. And, oh, yeah, let them have ice cream before, before dinner. It's okay. Who are you? But grandparents are just, I mean, it's just like, oh, I can't wait to see my grandkid. And if we're the body of Christ, shouldn't we do that with other people's kids? Be like, oh, yeah, I'll watch your kid. You need to go take a nap. Oh, that's what grandmas are for. It's like you're a grandparent to everybody now. And they're actually telling us that children, this is what statistics and psychologists and studies are saying, children need at least four to five caring adults in their life to help really mentor them and build them a solid foundation for life. And, you know, in the Eastern cultures, 
that was everybody living in the same household. But we don't have that today in our culture. And sometimes you need people in the body of Christ to be one of those safe people that help build the body of Christ. And so we can have potlucks and we can have picnics and we can have events to help us start to connect. But connection comes when we start being aware of the needs in other people's lives or start asking, hey, do you need anything? Because we do. Hey, call me anytime if you need something. And then when they call, it's like, oh, yeah, I didn't really mean that. That's just what we say in our culture. I mean, we talked last week with our commodities. Give according to your ability. I mean, if you call me and ask me to, like, help you, you know, remodel your bathroom, I'm not really your guy unless you need me to, like, carry the stuff out or something. But and so according to my ability, I might not be able to help you. But if it's according to my ability, and I think sometimes we look at our lives and we pack our lives so full that we're like, well, I just really can't help that person. So um, and really, we could if we stepped back and said, Holy Spirit, could I help that person? Am I just being selfish? Could I help that person? Am I just being afraid? Could I help that person? I'm just not really ready to make that level of commitment yet. And really ask ourselves, one of my favorite um, people is Keith Green. If you know Keith Green, singer back in the 70s, and he came out of terrible past, drug addict, um, alcohol, not raised in church at all. So when he got saved, it was a radical change. And actually, early in his life, he started preaching sermons that were really hard on church people. Like, he was kind of mean, actually. Um, but he, did, he wasn't trying to be mean. He was just like, the Bible says this, and this is what the church is doing. What's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> so imagine that being at a concert. And people got uncomfortable with him. He would get so broken that he would crawl under the piano and just weep at his concerts, and people just <laughs> didn't know what to do with that. Um, but if you ever have a chance to read his book, uh, this, the biography of his life called No Compromise by Keith Green, or by, I think it's Melody Green who wrote it, his wife. Um, he was just so crazy. And over time, he kind of softened and realized he was being too hard on church people um, because he had flaws too, and they had flaws. They just were different. Um, but Keith would find people that were going to have abortions and would be like, oh, you can't have abortion because that's life and you don't want to take that life. And they, they would tell their story about, like, they didn't have anyone. They didn't have an option. Like, they, were, they could not afford to do this. They couldn't take time off work. There's no family. There's no support system. And Keith would be like, you're going to live with us. You're going to live with us. And they literally, um, Melody tells the story great. By the way, if you ever tell someone that they can live with you, make sure your wife knows first. Um, <laughs> just saying. But he, they would have up to five and six people living with them because they wanted to make sure they, didn't, they had an option. That's the body of Christ. Now, we're not going to flip a page and just be there tomorrow. But what do we need to do to start down that path of connection in the body of Christ? Connection with the people we work with. Connection with our neighbors. Connection. And I want to give us just one verse that I think that's all we're going to have time for. Um, because there's so much in this passage about, you know, breaking bread, you know, breaking bread and then having meals. We think breaking bread, most scholars will agree, um, breaking bread was probably communion. But there's also, they were having meals together. They were meeting at the temple together. They were also meeting in their homes together. They sold possessions. I mean, wow. When will the church come to a place where we actually 
yeah, can, but we're not going to get there if we don't, you know, take the first step. So the first step of connection, we're going to look at the book of James. The book of James. And we're not going to get to my little diagram. So if you want to ask me about it later, I can, like, tell you about it. But you're going to hear about it eventually. Um, because we're going to do a we're going to do at some point this fall or winter a study through the book of James. But James chapter one, this was part of my prayer. Here's key one to connect with people. James one nineteen, my my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We need to be quick to listen. We need to listen to people to understand them, not to respond to them. Too many of us listen and we're already developing a response before we've even heard or made sure we've heard what someone has said. We would do better to just listen, ask clarifying questions, and then not even respond in the moment. Sometimes just say, wow, I'm sorry that happened to you. Or, hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to need to think about that. Even if we think we have the instant answer, we don't always have to give it. Because sometimes that ruins connection. We have to value people, and we value them by listening, by hearing, by being engaged in a conversation with them. It actually shows that I don't think that I'm superior to you. I think we're equals, and I'm, I'm going to hear what you have to say, and I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to even let you teach me things, maybe things that I think I even know how to do or even know a better way to do, but I'm going to let you teach me. In fact, in youth ministry class, they say the best way to enter a teenager's world is have them teach you something you don't always know. Maybe I shouldn't have said that with all these teenagers here. But man, if you don't know how if you're a parent here, if you're an older person and you have children or grandchildren and you don't know how to work social media or a computer, why not? Because your kids could teach you, your grandkids could teach you. Let them teach you. Let them show you how to do things that you don't know. But let all people be quick to listen, quick to listen. Our culture is quick to speak. Every single one of us has something to say. We all know what's right about whatever topic it is. We know what's right. We've Googled it. We've got our answer. We're there. But I think we need to listen better. I think if we as the body of Christ would learn to, to be quick to listen, quick to listen, we would begin to see things that God wants us to see that we're not already seeing. Because we need other parts of the body, and because we're quick to respond and not quick to listen, we're not hearing them. And usually that leads to misunderstanding. That leads to a rush to judgment. Well, you said this, so that means you believe this. Well, no, that's not what, I'm, that's not what I was saying. See, and you know how many times as a pastor you, you sit with people and try to work out differences, and they're not even hearing each other. You're like, you, that's not what they said. You didn't even ask what, you don't even know what they said. But we're quick to respond. We're quick to rush to judgment because of what we think we're hearing or because maybe how we've experienced someone in the past. I've been doing some some I, some of this processing in my head. Let me explain it to you this way. Did you know that there's 1440 minutes in a day? 1440 minutes in a day. 
In a week, that's 10,080. So there's 10,080 minutes in a day. If you and I were here all together today, and if we're here from 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock, we will spend 180 minutes together. And sometimes we think that in 180 minutes of an interaction with someone, we've got them figured out. And yet there's 9,900 more minutes in a week. We don't even have the surface. If we're quick to listen and slow to speak, we'll find ourselves being able to connect with people, people that we thought we'd never connect with, people that are so different from us in biblical views, political views, like all any views, sports teams. I mean, I'll never be able to connect with that person. They're so different than me. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Jesus was able to connect with a Samaritan woman. That never should have happened. A Jewish man and a Samaritan woman have no connection point whatsoever. But he did. He did. So be quick to listen, slow to speak. When you're in a conversation with someone, avoid the one-up trap. Someone's sharing their story. Oh, I got a better one than that. Oh, you should have heard what happened to me. Just to, just sit in a conversation sometimes and just listen. Let someone speak. Wow, that's such a cool story. And don't share yours. Just listen and make them feel like the most important person. I'm giving you all this good stuff right before we have lunch together. See, this is so good. <laughs> I know. And feel free to break the rules. Just let's be let's be quick to listen and slow to speak. I don't know if you've ever had interactions with a jerk before. I mean, probably someone who acted like a jerk. But remember, someone sometimes people act like jerks or they act rude because of fear, because of insecurity, because of trauma that they've experienced in their life, because of stress, because of a misunderstanding. They misunderstood something you said before, so now they treat you like a jerk because they don't really know you. And so there's a misunderstanding that's causing that. And that's why James ends with, be slow to get angry. Be slow to draw lines. Be slow to choose sides. Be cho slow to get angry. And anger can be active and anger can be passive. We can be overtly angry towards someone. We can say things. We can do things to show our anger. But we can be very passively angry and just ignore them. We see them coming and we just give them the quiet treatment. That's anger also. Okay, so that... James says, be slow to get there because our anger doesn't produce the righteous things God desires. James gives us one other verse. James chapter 5, verse 16. Well, he gives us plenty, but there's only one more that I'm going to give you because this is how we're going to end. I want us to end. You've got communion elements, and this is what brings us together. Okay, this the body of Christ, the blood that he shed, the new covenant of his blood makes us brothers and sisters. And some of us have been acting like it pretty good. And some of us maybe have been acting like it not so good. And some of us maybe have been grumbling and complaining where we should have been praising the Lord. And today we just want to do a little connection. So I'm going to ask you to, in a moment to get together with at least one other family, maybe two other families and Pray together. James 5.16.
confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So for some of you, I know that you, I, I should have just, I've just killed you. I'm like, what? We got to do what? Uh." Um, (laughs) You're going to be okay. And so for those of you that you're like, yes, this is awesome. Try to look for those that are like, I don't want to go with anybody and try to pair up with them and not just other yes people, because you could help those of us that like want to just go like hide over there. And you don't have to confess all your deep sins. Just s- confess something. I, could, I should complain less. I should grumble less. I should connect better with people I work with. I should connect better with my spouse. I should, I should listen more. Uh, wh- just one thing. Just confess it to the group. And then pray for each other. Pray just a blessing over them. Pray for whatever. And then take communion together. Just take the, the bread, the cup. And say, thank you, God, for bringing us together into your body. And that's it. That, it's that. That it sounds so simple, but I bet it's going to be difficult for some. And I'm going to just challenge you to stretch out, confess your sins, and pray for each other. And can we put some quiet music on? I mean, not that we really need it. We've got birds and cars. and So I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to release you to just kind of pair up one or two other families, and just pray together. And so, Father, I thank you today for bringing us together as a body. God, not just those of us in Restoration Church, but, God, the churches in our community, around the world. God, thank you for the partnership that we have as your people. God, I pray that today that you'd help us to connect with one another on a different level, on a a stronger level, or maybe on a first level. Help us to be able to to build relationships, not just in this next few moments as we pray together, but even over the next hour or so as we're here having lunch together. God, help us to connect with one another and to begin to put into practice some of the connection skills that James gives us to, to really listen to one another, to get to know one another. And then, Holy Spirit, help us to translate that into our day tomorrow with our coworkers. Maybe for those of us whose our spouses aren't here or our family members aren't here, help us to connect. Help us to learn how to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. So, Holy Spirit, thank you again for this beautiful day today. We just ask your blessing over our time of prayer together our time of fellowship together over the food that has been prepared for us today. Help us to just enjoy you and to enjoy each other's company over these next few moments together, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's partner up.